Hello, and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast, the show for people on the go who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Clint Tolbert talks about Colossians 1, 24, through 2, 5. In Paul's letter, after giving a gentle warning not to waver in faith, he explains why he is willing to joyfully suffer for the sake of the church. Let's hear today's message. In my journal, I underlined these words, sufferings, afflictions, toil, struggling, and struggle again. This is a hard passage, don't you think? I mean, it's deep, and it's not one that's necessarily going to be received like a ray of sunshine. <laughs> but that's all right. That's what life is like sometimes. In this passage, the Apostle Paul invites us to consider our own sufferings, our own struggle, our own toil in light of the gospel, suggesting that if we understand the gospel rightly, if we recognize Jesus for who he is, if, if God's word is used to provide the paradigm for our life, we might not just endure or persevere struggle, but we can actually be joy-filled in the midst of it. Nonetheless, it's going to be a, a challenging message. And so I thought I'd, I'd start uh, with a, a little bit of levity. Um, when I read those words, the phrase no pain or no, no pain, no gain came to mind. You've heard that, right? I wonder, do you know who first said no pain, no gain? Let's do a little quiz here. Here are your options. Babe Ruth, you know, the Sultan of Swat, the old, you know, baseball player. Pontius Pilate, you remember him from Scripture. Ben Franklin, statesman, inventor. Macho Man Randy Savage, worldwide wrestling federation hero, right? Who do you think first said, no pain, no gain? It's one of these four, all right? Let's participate here with hands. Who thinks it's Babe Ruth? Oh, only a couple, only a couple. All right, who thinks Pontius Pilate? Hey, Jesus, no pain, no gain, right? No, it wasn't Pontius Pilate. Who thinks Ben Franklin? Oh, a few think Ben Franklin, more than a few. All right, who thinks Macho Man Randy Savage? Oh, right, you could hear him saying that, couldn't you? It was actually Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin first said, no pain, no gain. Well, actually, he said this. There are no gains without pains. It was Jane Fonda who took that and put it in the no pain, no gain verbiage for her workout videos. That's where we first hear it in that way. Again, that's the essence of the passage we've just heard read. That in following Jesus, there will be pain. It's part of the deal. Struggle, hardship, toil, suffering. But through Jesus, we might be led to recognize that there is a gain to be had that's not even worth comparing to the struggle that we're called to endure if we've rightly framed and understood this life that is ours in Jesus. 
This passage frames that for us, and so I want to help you to see that so that in the midst of struggle, you might believe, not Clint's word, but the truth, and that the truth might carry you even in joy through very hard times. And so let's pray and then dig into this deeply together. Lord Jesus, we do come to you, many of us, in the midst of struggle. And we pray, Lord, for your help. We pray not that you would take away the struggle. For we've asked for that, many of us, and you have not answered in the way that we want. Instead, Lord, would you help us to frame the struggle that we're enduring rightly. and Help us to recognize what you teach in your word. That, in fact, there is more than perseverance or endurance that can be had, but even joy in the midst of suffering or struggle. Help us to see it and believe it, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, again, we are looking at chapter 1, beginning at verse 24. But before we get into that deeply, we do need to frame... Our understanding of struggle or suffering in the world, we need a paradigm for understanding our our life, and that, that was given to us largely last week in the passages preceding, verses 15 through 23. You may remember we, we talked about uh, what often happens when someone faces suffering or uh, struggle, that it, suffering can lead to doubt and that doubt is usually such that falls into one of two categories. Do you remember this? That, that someone will encounter something in life and go, wait a minute, this isn't good, and I thought God was good, and if God's going to allow this to happen, maybe God's not as good as I thought he was, and so I'm out. That suffering causes people to question the goodness of God. On the other hand, some encounter moments like that And still believe that God is good, but he just must not be able or powerful enough. I think God is good, but this is still happening. So I bet God's heart's broken, but he really can't do anything about it. And so God is not able, and therefore they turn away from God. Last week we spent a lot of time on that. And I'll just remind you from the scripture. That we framed our understanding of who God is by saying, look, Jesus is the very definition of good. Good requires a standard. We can't know good apart from some standard. And Jesus is that standard. Colossians 1.17. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He's the standard. And so when we're asking what is good, we really ought to be looking at Jesus and, and, and evaluating things by him. He is also able. That passage goes on, and in verse 20 says, He has dealt with sin and suffering, making peace by the blood of the cross. And so by that we recognize that the the Bible teaches what we deserve for our sin and rebellion is death. And Jesus came into the world and died for us, making payment The payment we owed, he paid himself when he died on the cross. To which we might go, all right, so what does that have to do with the everyday 
very hard struggles that we go through. What does that have to do with, with uh, starving children in the world? What does the cross have to do with domestic violence? What does Jesus' sacrifice have to do with natural disasters and all the suffering that comes from that? Well, the scripture this morning points to the reality that God uses suffering and struggle to accomplish his purpose. He's not done yet. That work began at the, on the cross, but he is using it to redeem the whole world to himself, and he invites us to, to play a part. We've got to have that mindset. Paul had it. I want you to see in verse 25. Verse 25 is going to be pretty important for understanding this passage. In verse 25, Paul had this frame of reference, this paradigm, a way of looking at his life. And that's why he said, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. He understood what his life was meant to be, or what his life was all about. He understood that before he began to follow Jesus, remember when he was Saul, right? Before he began to follow Jesus, the goal of his life was, in a sense, kind of self-promotion. He he wanted to take hold of the life that he wanted. It was about him. And so it is for all of us. All of us, before we decided to follow Jesus, if indeed we've made that decision, went about life trying to arrange things and, and, and develop relationships and all of that to, to fulfill the picture we have in our own mind of what life ought to be. We were serving ourselves. It's be careful, it's a deceptive thought. I'm not saying everybody before Jesus is this terrible person only bent on doing selfish things. It's just that, that before Jesus, all of us were seeking the life we desired. And so, for example, you might go do a, you know, participate at a Habitat for Humanity build. You know, we're doing that right now with the church. And if you were doing that, not as a follower of Jesus, but out of your own sense of what, what makes for a good life. You might go, and you want to help somebody, and then the job site coordinator's kind of a jerk, right? Or the job you're given doesn't feel as fulfilling, and you go, wait, this isn't what I signed up for. And you might decide to walk away, because, well, you're the author of your life. You decide what is good, what is bad, and you're not going to do that. But things change when you decide to follow Jesus. Look what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9. When his disciples were arguing about who's the best, he said to them all, Hey, look, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, must deny themselves. Beforehand, you were promoting yourself, providing for yourself. But now, it's not about you. You have to deny yourself Take up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will find it. That's the frame of reference for we who follow Jesus. And that's what Paul is writing, or that's his perspective when he writes in verse 25, I'm a minister. That word minister is not what you think. The Greek word there is diakonos. Diakonos. Do you hear? It's, it's the word for deacon. It also means servant, 
or um, attendant. Paul is saying, look, I recognize who I am. I'm one who's called to serve. I'm one who's called to attend to. Attend to what? Well, that word stewardship, minister according to the stewardship of God, that word could also be translated commission or plan. And those are probably a little more helpful as we're trying to wrestle with what this means. Paul is saying, look, I recognize who I am. I am a servant of the commission or plan of God in the world. It's not about me. It's about him. As he wants to accomplish his purpose in the world. What's his purpose? It's later on in that verse. I would suggest you grab a pencil or a pen and circle. This is really important. God's purpose is expressed at the end of verse 25. To make the word of God fully known. In our why question, why is God doing this? We might not be able to connect the dots, but the last dot is always to make the word of God fully known. God's purpose in the world is to make his word fully known. Well, his word, not just the book. Who is the word? And you're in church, Jesus, right? Remember John 1? In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and he was with God. It's Jesus. God's purpose is always to make Jesus fully known. For what we just said earlier, for by he is the firstborn of all creation. By him and through him all things were made. He's king. He's authority. He's the author of life. And so God's purpose is to make him fully known. Paul says, okay, so I am now a part of that plan. And I'm sitting here in prison in Rome. Unjustly. And I'm writing with words that begin, now I rejoice in my suffering. Because he knows he's part of the plan to make Christ fully known throughout, uh, throughout the ancient Near East, especially to the Gentiles. And friends, you and I are part of God's plan to make Christ fully known in the context that he has placed us. But make no mistake That will require your struggle and even suffering. It requires hardship and toil. How can it not? I mean, think about the gospel. That in order to redeem the world, God took on flesh and was tortured and executed on the cross. And then has invited us to share in his life and his plan for the world. Do we think we can do that without suffering? No way. And yet, God's word says, even though you should expect suffering, there's something you should expect even more. That it will be worth it. Because there is an outcome. There is a gain to that pain that is so great. And we have to hold that in our heart if we're going to endure struggling because if we don't, I don't think we can make that through. I mean, it's kind of like someone, we have, we have a few young people who, uh, in the church who are considering after graduation, life after graduation. A couple of them are considering the military. 
great. One of them uh, is dating my daughter, so he's in our house a lot, so we're talking, and I said, you know, you know if you join the military, like, there's this thing called boot camp, right? <laughs> Have you heard about boot camp? Have you heard what a struggle it is? How much suffering? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. No problem. Why? Well, because the recruiter, I presume, has painted a picture of the life that comes on the other side of that suffering, and it is, at least in his mind, worth it. Now, that may or may not be true in the military, but for us, bank on it. It is true, and so we need to hold on to it. And as we do, the Scripture says there's, there's a few specific reasons that you can not just endure, not just persevere, but be filled with joy. Not superficial happiness. We're not saying, hey, thank you for, you know, beating me. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Not one of those types of things, but true joy, even in the midst of struggle. I want to point those out to you. Before I do, I'd like you to pull into your mind and your heart the struggle that God has given you in this moment. Because as I've been wrestling with this text, I, I, I recognize, boy, this could become overly academic and theological here. That'd be terrible. Because the Holy Spirit wants to minister to you. So what is the struggle? What is the suffering that is in your life right now? I can name some of it for some of you. I'm your pastor, I know, right? Some of you, it just has to do with your body. Your body is beginning to fail you. It is an absolute struggle to even get here in the morning. Amen, Ann? Amen, right. Some of you, it's a diagnosis. You have cancer. What do I do with that? What does that mean for my loved ones, my, my future, for my faith, for my life? Some of you, it's grief. Mary and Terry just lost her husband. What do, we, what do we do with grief? Some of you, it's your kids. Some of you, it's your parents. Some of you, it's your job. Some of you, it's just this indescribable, dark feeling. Doctor might call it depression, but you don't, you don't know. You got it? Let's not let this be academic. Hold that in your head. If you got it, nod your head. Let's, this should be like a bobblehead on the dashboard on a bumpy road. I want to see a bunch of heads, right? Got it? All right. Let me give you the reasons from God's word why you can be joyful even in the midst of those things. Look at, look at verse 24 again, what Paul says about his own life. I want you to write next to that, if you've got your journal there, write the word participate. I'll tell you why in a minute. Participate. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, Paul says, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. Here's the first reason you can rejoice. Can you believe that God is inviting you to participate 
in his redemptive work in the world. That God is in the business of redeeming the whole world and he is using your suffering and your struggle in that work. Look at the, the, the wording there. That, that Paul says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What's lacking in Christ's afflictions? Seems odd, doesn't it? Didn't Jesus hang on the cross and say, it's finished? Don't we Protestants say, no, there's nothing we contribute to salvation. It's by, by grace through faith alone. So what's, what's lacking? I was meditating on that and a memory came back from my childhood. Of my father teaching me how to hold a hammer and nail a nail. Of course, you know, I grew up on a farm, a lot of board fence. We had to fix it all the time. And I would be, this is when, from when I was very little. Dad would take the nail, drive it into the board, more than halfway when I was younger, very young, probably all the, almost all the way, and then he'd go, all right, Clint, hit it. Finish it. I imagine when I was young, I'd hit it and miss completely. No, no, hold it there with your hand. Now hit it. And then I probably hit my thumb, right? But it was the way my father invited me into the work that he was doing to restore the fence. So too does God invite us in the midst of our suffering to share with him in his redeeming work in the world. Now make no mistake, my father's the one that fixed the fence. But I had the joy you ever done something like that with a child? Do you remember that as a child? There is a joy there when mom or dad invites you to share in their life or their work. Some of you have heard, heard me tell the story of John Pierce. John Pierce was a man who helped pay for my seminary, gave me a scholarship. Met him a few times, but heard lots of stories about him. He was a a very committed follower of Jesus. Story went that John uh, was diagnosed with cancer. But here's how he learned of that diagnosis. He went to the James Institute in Columbus for tests. The doctor came into his room and said, Mr. Pierce, I am very sorry to have to tell you this, but you have stage four cancer and only a very short time to live. Those who told me the story said John's response was, oh, I'm sorry, doctor. I'm sure that was very hard for you to tell me. It wasn't that John was glad to receive that news. That's not what it means to be joy-filled. But John embodied a confidence in faith that enabled him, even in that moment, to express sympathy and empathy and witness to the doctor. I can only imagine what the doctor might have thought. And I believe John probably had expressed his faith in some manner or another so that maybe the doctor would connect the dots. Who knows? But I wonder whether God didn't use John's suffering for his greater redeeming purposes in that doctor's life and, and who else, who, who else other? Think again about that suffering, that struggle that came to your own mind. What might be God 
What might God be doing with that? We don't have to know for sure. But do you believe, like Paul does, that you are a minister according to the plan of God? And you get to participate in his work in the world? I'll share vulnerably some of them. You know, when I ask you to bring to your mind, here's what's in my mind. It's my mother, of course. Many of you know her. She's part of this congregation. She has Alzheimer's disease. The last couple of weeks, she's taken another step. She no longer remembers me anymore. And as I go to visit her, it's hard. She's pleasant. She's happy. But we can't have much of a conversation. I can't say remember when. She doesn't even know I'm her son. There's a part of me that goes, God, what are you doing with that? But it's the truth that reminds me, you might not know, but I'm doing something. Maybe he's equipping me to be able to help others. Maybe he's refining my own trust in God. Maybe he's using my mother for a staff member that I don't, I don't know what he's doing. But I don't believe it's without purpose. And so even in the struggle of those conversations, I can have some joy. You can too. That's the first one. That God invites us to participate in the work he's doing in the world. Here's the second one. It's down at Colossians 2, 1 through 3. Next to that passage, you might write the word Uh, teach. Paul says this, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And then he continues on a little bit and and pick it up later on. It's kind of hard to follow his thought, at least for me. But if you put it together this way, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you that you may reach all the riches of a full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery." Which, in Christ, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Like, we have the opportunity to teach and point people to Jesus. And friends, there's a joy in that, even, even in the midst of struggle. Let me share something with you from last week. This was really fun. So, after the service was done... A few of the guys who meet every, I think it's every Monday morning, maybe it's every other Monday morning for Bible study, they gathered uh, outside and gave me this award. <laughs> Bill Bonzer, Floyd was there. Uh, I don't know who else is a part of this group. You, I know you can't read that really well. I'll read part of it to you. They called it the R- Ragged Bible Award. Now, I know they meant this just as humorous encouragement, but I don't think they knew how encouraging and helpful it would be. So, I, I think this is Bill Bonzer's humor here. He writes, Whereas one finds most pew Bibles looking as though they just came from a drawer at the day's inn, i.e., never used or opened, right? And the pew Bibles at First Presbyterian Maumee look more like a copy of a catcher in the rye from a middle school library. (laughs) Fingerprints all over them. Herein let it be resolved that we award Clint the Ragged Bible Award. 
well, again, they just meant that as humorous encouragement, but, but they don't know, I don't think, some of the struggle that comes with being a preacher. I remember the first sermon that I preached here where I said, open to page such and such or open to this part of the Bible. And y'all looked at me. <laughs> Nobody opened anything. And I said something, and I anticipated that. I grew up in a church like this one. I, I said, look, gang, I'm 33 years old. That's how old I was when I came here. I'm 33 years old. I know nothing. You all have lived so much more life than I do. But God's word, God's word, that's worth opening. Now, when we say open the scripture, have you ever heard how many pages to open? It's a blessing to me because of the struggle. You may not realize it, but there are people who have not appreciated that we go to the Scripture like we do. They've said, I've overemphasized the Scripture, misinterpreted. They've accused me of certain things, and they've left the church, and it hurt. That's part of the gig. But to receive something like that, like a child acknowledging they've found a treasure. Did you see the Scripture? Like Jesus in whom all the treasures are hidden. How worth, worthy is that? And it's not just something held out to preachers. That's something for all of us. All of us are called together to teach and point one another to Jesus. You know, we are constantly asking for help with our little ones, whether it's Wednesday nights or children's church. And, and frankly, we're just not getting a whole lot of help. Part of that is hey, I raised my kids, been there, done that. I kind of get it. There's a struggle. Kids are hard, right? Some of them harder than others, if we're going to be honest, right? No names, please. But it's worth it. If you see a child, realize who they are and who Jesus is and what, oh my gosh, I don't think there's anything greater in the church. It's not just children. I'm sure... The, Vicky and Carol see it at Grief Share when a grieving person recognizes the love of Jesus through, through Grief Share. It's what our elders are called to. Here from the Book of Order is a, a statement. It's long. I'll leave it up there, let you, let you read it for yourself. I'm not going to read it all the way through, but there in the middle, it says this. Look, the, the, the role of the elder is to measure the fidelity, the truthfulness, the integrity of the church to the word of God and lead according to that. And it's hard. We have some elders in here. John's in here and Nancy's over there. And forgive me, I'm not seeing everybody, but it's hard. These last three years have been hard. We're trying to make our way through a pandemic. And we're using the scripture. Scripture that says, no, you really ought to submit to civil authority whenever you can. And so we did that, and then people got mad at us, right? No, no, it's important to gather as the people of God, and so we did that. No, and then people got mad at us for that, right? It's like, ah. But then there's a joy on the other end of it. We just had our last meeting and gathered and went, huh, you know what? I think by the grace of God, we did it right. Mostly. Thanks be to God. There's a joy in that for all of us that we get to teach and point to Jesus. You've likely heard the phrase, 
you might be the only Bible that someone reads. That you're, they're going to look at your life, and it's only through your life that they're going to know Jesus. That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? Because they don't open the pages of the Bible, they know you're a follower of Jesus, and oh, that's what Jesus must be like. There's a struggle there, but also a joy. All right, last one, most important one. You can see it in verse 27. Next to verse 27, you might want to write the word witness. So participate, teach, and witness. Those are the three opportunities we have that lead to joy. Let me set it up before we get there, though. Remember from verse 25, this is critically important. Remember God's purpose to make the word of God, Jesus, fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. That's his purpose. How does he do that? Friends, bottom line, does it through you, the church, Christ in you, verse 27, the hope of glory, the point of our fellowship, the reason we exist together as the church is to reveal the person of Jesus to the world. That's why we're called his body. The church is a kingdom outpost in a foreign nation. Like an embassy. You know an embassy, right? Our first service, we had younger people. I think I had to explain embassy more than probably I need to do for you. But you know an embassy. I think there's a picture here of the American embassy in the Ukraine right now. So in Ukraine, there is war. In Ukraine, there is poverty. In Ukraine, there is pain, destruction, all the stuff we know about. Is the reality of the country of Ukraine the same as the reality of the American embassy in Ukraine? No. Because the laws of the Ukraine don't govern the life of the embassy. An embassy is like a little bit of America in a foreign nation. And it's guided by America's laws and America's life. And presumably, the life within the embassy is more like what we experience than outside its walls. So too is the church. The church is not governed by the laws of the world but by the laws of the homeland. And the character of the church is not defined by the experience of all that is around us, but instead by the one who calls us together. And that's why we struggle. We struggle, as Paul writes in in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2, we struggle so that our hearts may be encouraged and that we might be knit together in love. Friends, it doesn't happen by accident. It's not automatic. We have to struggle for our life together. We have to struggle to love each other. We have to struggle to be gracious, merciful, to forgive. We have to struggle to submit to each other, to support each other, right? And in doing so, we bear witness We bear witness to what the world is longing for. True peace, true love, 
a God who is in charge even in the midst of chaos. It's what Jesus pointed to. Last thought, it's what Jesus pointed to. Remember in the upper room? Hours before Jesus was about to be tortured and executed, anticipating that his closest friends would deny even knowing his name. You don't think Jesus was struggling? Suffering? It's in the midst of that he, he takes a basin of water and a towel. And the scripture says, took the lowest place of a servant. And I gotta imagine with a bit of a smile on his face, with joy, began to wash his disciples' feet. And he said this, look, gang, love one another as I have just loved you. Because it's by this all people will know you are my disciples. Not because of the absence of struggle, because of your continence in the struggle. Because even in the midst of it, you can be filled with joy as you're invited to participate in God's work. You have the joy of teaching and pointing to Jesus and together as the church bearing witness to he who was before all things and who holds all things together. So let's pray. Lord God, each one of us has some struggle in our life. I imagine it's true that all of us have told you or felt like we don't want this struggle in our life. That's okay. But would you help us now, having heard your word, to receive that suffering, that struggle differently? Would you help us to believe that you are indeed good and powerful? That you've invited us to participate in your work of redemption? That in our midst of our struggle, we can point to you, Jesus, and together bear witness to your love and lordship in the world? not something we can do on our own, Lord, and so we pray for the help of your Spirit. Help us, Holy Spirit, to follow you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week.